0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Final hour of the lake show news talk, 830 three
1: You know, I love horse racing. I know that many of you out there do as well. And you love going out to Canterbury park and you specifically love going out to Canterbury park during, um, the triple crown days. And it all starts with uh, the Kentucky Derby weekend, right? So, to me, when I think about cashing those big tickets and finding a Derby horse, or finding any one of the horses that can win a Derby, a Preakness, Belmont, whatever, there's preparation that goes into cashing that big ticket. So many of you out there think that, okay, you know what we'll do? We'll head on out to Shakopee on that Friday, you know, evening. Um, if you, if you want to be a part of the, uh, the the, the car that happens on Friday, or if you just want to wait until the, the actual derby itself and derby day on that Saturday, we'll drive out to Shakopee and we'll, you know, look at some of the horses that we've been hearing about. We'll go ahead and pick one, we'll wager on that horse, whatever, and hopefully we'll get a little bit lucky. Well, if you actually spend some time right now researching, and really divvying up your time that way in terms of looking at the horses that potentially could be running come the opening weekend in May, you're more than likely to make more money or make some money at all. There's this really cool um, tournament that takes place over the course of several months. It's called the Road to Kentucky, and I love it because for me it's very informational You watch a lot of races every uh, single weekend, specifically the stakes races that lead up to um, the Kentucky Derby because they're derby preps. And they have points that go towards getting into the gate at Churchill Downs. And joining us now to talk about the road to Kentucky and the importance of all of this and how it plays out is Jeff Madej from Canterbury Park. It's been a while since we last chatted, Jeff, but how you been, man?
2: It's been a long time, Henry. Uh, things are great. Things are great. Uh, this is a fun time of the year, just because I can see the end of winter and the beginning of spring, and that's and so. These these prep races are are fun for that reason for me because uh, I think we got it made again. We got another winter almost behind us. So, and this this is uh, watching these horses develop now as we start watching these three year olds progressing towards the Derby is it's like watching any other athletes mature and you know and, and learning about them and finding out you know, when they're going to be good and most of them these trainers they they're trying to peak on that first saturday in may so some of these races now are just strictly for development they're going long for the first time they're trying new distances uh you know maybe they're, they're trying to find the right rider for these horses but uh it there's it, just a lot that goes into it, but for us as handicappers and fans of the game, it becomes very, very fascinating.
1: All right, Jeff, you, you, you're one of my friends. You're my guy. You're you're honest, good man. Uh, but you, you 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 spoke a little uh, um, um, some some falsehoods right there, and that last little commentary there. You, you said that you could see the end of winter. You cannot see the end of winter. It is right now below zero, and it's going to be 15 below when we all wake up tomorrow. So you cannot see the end of winter yet. <laughs>
2: I'm an optimist, I guess. I got, we gotta get through
1: <laughs> one more day. How about that? You know, one more we'll, day! We'll have another
2: two feet of snow probably, but still, it's the days are getting longer. I mean, I, I started a thing at work, Henry, where I would go home. I, I decided I'd have to be home before sundown. So for the last couple of months, I mean, I was getting out of there at like four o'clock. It was fantastic. Now, you know, now I'm staying later. So it's coming back to get me, but that that tells me that spring is coming. But,
1: uh, you're right, tomorrow's gonna be
2: brutal. <laughs> After that, we gotta be.
1: I'm just messing with you. All right, but let, let's let's dive into the Road to Kentucky, and I want you to lay out what it is specifically for the people that would like to participate in the Road to Kentucky contest that take place each and every weekend at Canterbury Park. But what I did lay out before um, we, we brought you up onto the show is the fact that if people go ahead and do their research now and they study these prep races and, and derby points races leading up to the derby, I think it makes wagering and formulating opinions about Derby winners that much easier. Your thoughts on that?
2: I agree because you get to know the horses that are good that are running on Kentucky
1: Derby Day, and
2: you can start to factor in what they went through to get there. Did they have? Did they face easy fields? Have they have they faced some of the best horses already before they get in the gate on Kentucky Derby? You know, how are they going a longer distance of ground? You know, do they have speed? Do they are they closers do they come from off the pace are they comfortable just sitting behind horses and they have to go to the front and these horses are creatures of habit so learning those kind of things as you're handicapping just these prep races alone uh makes it it makes it challenging but i think it also makes it rewarding because on derby day you've got 20 horses you've got millions and millions and millions of dollars being wagered there's an opportunity to really cash for size and that's that's what makes it fun but Again, it all goes back to me with this contest that we have offer every Saturday where you can come to Canterbury Park and enter. We use the full card. Like, for example, this week uh, is is the Holy Bull at Gulfstream Park. Well, they've got a 12 race program. I think they've got like five or six graded stakes. So it's not just these derby prep races with the best three-year-olds, but it's also some of the best older horses, fillies and mayors, colts and geldings as well so you really get to see the best of the best as the tracks roll through these prep races they usually put on a really good show from top to bottom so um, focusing on those races you you don't just get to learn about the three-year-olds but you also get to see some other good racing too so it's fun it's a free to enter contest we give away prize money every every week all the information of course at canterburypark.com and there's a lot of resources too to find out about horses and you know you and i like to handicap Look at past performances, whether it's the racing form or bris or whatever. But you can read a lot about the horses at you know, at DRF.com. That's the daily racing form website. At Equibase, at Bloodhorse, you can start to learn about these horses, learn about the trainers, see what they think, see what the jockeys think about the horses as well. So, so a lot of information that you can digest, and then you try to put it together when you step up to the betting window
1: and beyond just the fact of like getting to know which horses potentially could be uh in the uh, in the gates um at Churchill Downs in the first week and at uh for the Kentucky Derby but also like you mentioned you get to see a lot of other horses that you'll see throughout the summer spring and summer that will be a part of the big time stakes cards stuff like that but also there are a lot of people out there that would like to just be a part of a really cool contest, and I I know that there's a certain percentage of people that do go and enjoy being out at Canterbury Park, that enjoy the free contests that you guys provide.
2: Absolutely, yeah, it, it is fun, and you get to kind of test your skills against everybody else, and maybe you could get lucky and win some prize money along the way. But it's a it's a really good way to stay involved every week. And, you, don't, you know, you don't have to play every week if you miss one. Well, each week is a separate contest with separate prize money. So it is a fun way to stay involved and maybe get, get some money for for your efforts as well. But um, it, it is popular, and it's, it's, it, it really – a lot of horse players, I think, they, they crawl under a rock after uh, after the Breeders' Cup, but we're starting to see them again now. So, again, Henry, I'm back to that. It's a sign of spring. I'm seeing horse players I haven't seen for about <laughs> two and a half months. So
1: they're out there. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're talking to Jeff Maday from Canterbury Park here on the Lake Show on News Talk 830 WCCO. Road to Kentucky has started, um, each and every Saturday. Uh, make your way out to Canterbury Park. Uh, fill out the, uh, the contest card and, and take a, take a stab at it. Try to, try to win you some money. Try to win a contest each and every week. You don't have to play like Jeff Maday said every single week, but play when you can. Uh, which track is it this weekend?
2: So this week is is Gulfstream Park with the Holy Bolt. and then there's a couple there's one other prep race out in California that we'll include in the contest uh, at Santa Anita not much of a race it's the Bob Lewis there's only four horses, and all of them are trained by Bob Baffert, so not much there. But again, you don't I mean it's not going to be a good betting race, but it might be an educational race just to watch to see what these horses do because they're going to eventually have to step up and run in in, in more difficult companies. So there's there's always something that could be learned just by watching these races. But the whole the Gulfstream card will be great. Deal. You know, it's uh, kind of the the winter focus point, I think, of of racing because they've got a great turf course, a very a very good dirt track as well. They also have the synthetic surface, but what they really have going for them is great weather. So you get a lot of the best trainers, top to bottom, down their Best jockeys ride down there um, all winter. So it's it's a fun racetrack to watch and to handicap.
1: Well, I'm always going to have a soft spot for Gulfstream because my favorite horse of all time made its way to the Kentucky Derby and won the Kentucky Derby going through Gulfstream Park. Do you do you remember which horse that was? Or do you do you have any uh, any clue as to who I'm talking about?
2: I'm not sure who you're talking about. I mean, it has to be the one
1: that you cashed on, though. So, absolutely, so Barbaro. Them, Henry. This, Barbaro. Oh yeah, Barbaro. Yeah,
2: he was. Uh, and
1: and and I know he broke his yeah, maiden. Um, I know he broke his maiden in at Delaware, I think. But then after that, he was shipped down to Gulfstream Park, and he you know made his way through there. And then, of course, he went on to be a Kentucky Derby winner.
2: And it is it is interesting, because like, there are some horses that you know, trainers don't have, maybe early on in their two-year-old year as they're developing, don't have really high hopes for. But and I always say this, same with human athletes. like There can be that moment where the light bulb goes on or where that talent all comes together, and this horse that you thought was just going to be a racehorse becomes a Kentucky Derby contender. Just overnight, it seems like they can mature that way. So that's part of the fun as well, as you get... You know, a horse that may be, well, for example, last weekend at Oakland Park, Bob Baffert had Arabian Night, who only run one time. You know, he crushed um, in the stake race that he was in, in the Southwest Stakes. So that's a horse that really with no no seasoning, but improved when it faced better company. So we're going to see a lot of those types of horses. And the Holy Bull, I think, is an eight-horse field with some lightly-raced horses, but some horses that have every reason to improve.
1: Hey Jeff, let me ask you this real quick, and I know this is a little bit of a curveball, and this doesn't um, have to do with the uh, the road to Kentucky necessarily. Well, it kind of it it doesn't, but it does. You mentioned Bob Baffert. Now he's technically he's still not allowed to have a horse in this year's Derby, right?
2: That's correct. So, and he's got you know it's it's crazy. I said that he's got you know all four horses, and that's a very short field in that Bob Lewis. But you know, there's a process where you the trainers nominate horses before the race, like the week before. Sixteen mm-hmm. horses were nominated for that race. Fourteen were Baffert, so uh, he's got so many three-year-olds. But you're correct. Right now, he can run them in races outside of outside of Churchill. Like he can run in Oakland. He can run in California. He can run in Florida. But his horses can't earn these derby points that we talked about. They have to earn points by running in the top three that can get them to the derby, and they accumulate. But as we get closer yeah. to the derby in the bigger races, you get more points. His horses can't earn those points. So like last year, if you remember, uh, it was a TABIA, right? Ran for Baffert. They switched it to uh, another trainer, and it, it won the Santa Anita Derby. They you know, earned enough points in the Santa Anita Derby and ran under a different trainer's name. That's what he's going to gotcha. have to do now. Now he's still he's still in, in some. He's pursuing it legally in Kentucky. I think he was in court today, so I don't know what happened there. But if he if if they don't turn their if they have the ruling overturned, he has to have his horses out of his name and into another trainer's name by the end of this month if they're going to earn uh, Derby points
1: got you hey Jeff man I appreciate the time tonight and uh at some point one of these weekends I'll make it out for the contest but uh until I make it out I know that all the people out there in the listening audience can uh, go out there for the road to Kentucky
2: absolutely well we'll keep talking Henry and we'll find uh we'll we'll start to kind of home in on some derby horses here over the next few weeks it'll be a lot of fun fun. all
1: right let's do it all right that's Jeff Bidet from Canterbury Park joining us here on the lake show we'll take a break we'll come back we got word on the street that's next all right, it's time for Word on the Street here on The Lake Show. A little gossip for us, a little entertainment news. I have no idea what's on the docket for tonight, but let's see what uh, Christopher Tubbs has in store for us. All right, well, let's get to it, H.
3: We do know that Tom Brady allegedly is retiring, but we also know that he has hundreds of millions of dollars coming to him from Fox Sports but that's not going to rush him back to work. He's going to enjoy his first true break from football in a long time because his focus is elsewhere and not on dating. Now, sources close to Tom say he's going to spend the next few months just being a dad. They say he's an extremely devoted father to his kids, splitting his time with his kids in Miami and New York, and is looking forward to spending extended time with them. Tom's 15-year-old son, Jack, who he has with Bridget Monahan, plays high school football, and Tom flies privately to watch him play every week. Now, page six in New York says uh, ultimately his kids were the reason why he made the decision. And what's more is Tom was recently spotted alone scoping out schools in the Miami area for his kids that he shares with Giselle, Benjamin and Vivian. And the plan appears to stay in Miami for the kids. And as for his love life, it doesn't sound like Tom has dated anyone. His interest right now is just living a life outside of the game.
1: Yeah, man, look, I am happy for Tom Brady. I really am. Um, Just because he's the GOAT. And Tom Brady's somebody I didn't want to see just kind of milking his last few snaps and days and games and just not looking like the legend that he is. Do you feel like he did last year? Do
3: you feel like last year he kind of didn't have to come back next year? Did that hurt his No,
1: There's a a difference between, nope. There's a difference between having off games and just being a train wreck in your final year. Okay. Like like yeah, there were some games where he didn't he didn't play well, but there were games where he did. And so yeah, I didn't yeah. No, that was not the typical Tom Brady has not had the career end like some people where you're like like you're putting your hands over your eyes. Like Jerry Rice at the end. I'm like, dude, no one wants to see Jerry Rice with the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I mean, there's like there were just too many or, or the Denver Broncos. I can't remember which team it was at the very end there. But but you don't want situations like that. And I didn't feel like that was the case.
3: Yeah, I, I just I, yeah. Last year it just seemed like it was kind of an, an unnecessary year for Tom Brady. Hey, Leaping Lanny Poffo, uh, wrestling star, the younger, uh, he's the uh, younger brother of the late Macho Man Randy Savage, passed away at the age of 68, uh, cause of death is unknown. He was actually just posting on Facebook last night uh, in New York, made his debut in 1974. Uh, in 1985, he joined the World Wrestling Federation, where he'd be known as Leaping Lanny Poffo and the Genius uh he competed against Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, uh Ultimate Warrior and teamed up with Robbinsdale's own uh the late Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. He was inducting his brother Randy into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2015. Uh he gave a a nice honor and uh, outside of wrestling, he also wrote several books and was known for writing poems.
1: Mm. Wow, sixty-eight. Yeah, actually. I I I can't sit here and say that I know anything about the guy. You would know because, you know that that's, hey, that's what you do, man. You're a wrestling guy. I didn't know anything ab- about him at all. Uh, maybe if I saw a picture, I'd recognize his face, maybe. But I mean, of course, I know who Randy Savage is. So when you say it's his younger brother, that's uh yeah, that's that's a sad story there.
3: Yeah, I actually met Lanny, and I had a chance to uh, actually wear uh, Macho Man's Hall of Fame ring. And got a picture taken with it. It's pretty cool. Wow. I mean, a WWE Hall of Fame, but still, I mean, the fact that I got to wear a uh, a ring that was dedicated to Macho Man Randy Savage is pretty cool. And uh, you know I like reality TV, but I think I have finally drawn the line at something I cannot watch. And it is called – I can't believe they even said this. It is called Milf Manor. <laughs> yes. No, it is on TLC. It appears to The Innocent Eye is a predictably campy dating show starring eight older women who they call them the uh, titular MILFs looking to find love with a bunch of younger men in some anonymous tropical lookout. Now, here come the twists. The crop of the boy toys are actually the son of the MILFs, meaning mother and son are forced to witness their respective budding made december romances. In one of the first episodes, the blindfolded women have to identify their own sons by fondling the men's abs. Now, you can almost hear these screeches in the background as the young man tells the camera how his mother always got attention because, quote, her headlights were always on. And it seems like this is even too much for some of the most gleefully debased reality TV devotees. Maureen Callahan at the Daily Mail called the show repulsive and exploitive. Cody Ko, who's a popular YouTuber known for commentary on strange dating shows, was stunned into concerned silence by the footage of these shows' quote-unquote sons talking about their mother's sexual charms. Now, no one's arguing that reality TV is a high art, but there's a difference between a show so ridiculous you can't help but look away and show a show so ridiculous you can't watch, but... In fact, this is actually a meme. NBC's Thirty Rock parodied the idea of a MILF Island reality show all the way back in 2008, and Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake pitched a similar arrangement of their 2009 Saturday Night Live hit "Mother Lover." So uh, oh, that boy. that's it's it's a real thing. I saw a real ad for it.
1: MILF Manor. Oh, MILF.
3: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 a thing. Milf oh, Manor.
1: Oh, boy. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up here on Word on the Street. How do street. we make
3: the transition out of that?
1: When's the, when's the next time it comes on? I want to see.
3: <laughs> it's on TLC. <laughs> i got it in my DVR. I'll
1: find it. Um, coming up next, <laughs> we have the weather with meteorologist Paul Douglas. Then we'll talk more football. Matthew Collar, his Thursday night appearance from Purple Insider
3: next. We'll see you on season two. Oh,
1: I love talking football, football with Matthew Collar on Thursday nights here on the Late Show. Matthew, welcome back on the John Schuster-Cole Banker Hotline. How are you?
4: I am good. Uh, have you been able to uh, recover from uh, you know having the hosts there for you the other night?
1: Um, you know, I, I, full transparency. I, I didn't get a chance to listen at all. Um, just because, dude, I was out of it. I got to be totally, totally honest. Cause I, cause I filled in for Chad Hartman and then you filled in for me and I was, I was pretty tuckered. I was, I was out of it. So what, what were some of the topics? What were some of the things that you, that you dived into other than talking about the, uh, the much discussed, uh, Christopher Tubbs topic of, uh, TLC's Milf Manor? <laughs>
4: We did talk about how Tubbs has an irrational hate for the Philadelphia Eagles, which I think a lot of Vikings fans share. Uh, But, you know, the main topic was how there's a lot of Vikings fans who have reached out to me and said, I've always wanted the team to try to win in every way they could, and now I've changed my mind after this year. (laughs) Because, you know, they ran it back. They kind of pointed to Mike Zimmer as being at the root of all the problems. And, you know, they won a lot of games. They had a fun year, but at the end of the day, Vikings fans had to sit and watch three rounds of the playoffs again, which has just kind of been the way of this organization for many years now where they're never terrible, but never great. And, you know, you sort of end up in the middle and having your season be forgotten by almost everyone except for you. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people, I think, are getting on board with the idea of starting to tear this thing down and rebuild something new rather than coming back with a lot of the same players who have performed Pretty much the same way for
1: the last five years. Alright, so let's take a glance back at last weekend's games. Because I felt like we saw a really good game, or at least, you know, an entertaining outcome of the Chiefs Bengals game. That was the matchup of Patrick Mahomes versus Joe Burrow and just the rematch from a year ago. But then you also had the highly anticipated um, 49ers facing the Eagles, but that went south quickly when Purdy got hurt. And just, I mean, there was so much there that was not going to work out eventually for the uh, for the 49ers. But I, I guess between the two games, okay, and we saw Eagles dominate the Niners, who were banged up and having all kind of quarterback issues, and then you saw the uh, the quarterback play for both Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. But what was? Give me your top two takeaways from last weekend's games
4: well one is that i think the san francisco 49ers since i guess i would say 2019 have year in and year out had one of the best rosters if not the best roster and every year something gets in the way for that team it's amazing the bad luck that they've had or the things that have gone sideways i mean they're winning in the super bowl against kansas city and Patrick Mahomes makes one of the greatest throws in NFL history to Tyreek Hill. And then it all goes downhill after that and they lose the Super Bowl. And then, you know, it's uh it's an injury to Jimmy Garoppolo, and then it's you know, the the injuries this year, and even they find this complete diamond of the rough in Brock Purdy and he gets to play one series before getting hurt and you know, they're they're out there with Josh Johnson and, and so forth. And by the way, if the NFL is rigging games, uh, apparently I wish they had rigged that one to be better um, because that was uh, it was miserable to watch and it, was, and it was just sad it kind of reminded me even of those 49ers teams that had Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick and how they had just built these beast defenses and talent all over the field and just could not quite get there so the fact that that turned out to be such a dud was really disappointing because I loved that matchup just two teams that had built these very complete rosters they'd kind of done it uh, in very smart ways, like through the draft, through finding players, picking premium positions, and even with quarterbacks that weren't necessarily the first overall draft picks. So that, that you know, it was just really disappointing to see, even though I think Philadelphia probably was the better team, um, to not even have that be a game was really unfortunate. The other one was weird to me because it seemed like Cincinnati and their fans and a lot of people wanted to claim that the referees rigged things up for Kansas City, and I can't really figure out how. I know there was a whistle that was not heard on the broadcast that blew a play dead, and maybe people were confused by that, but Joseph Asai pushed Patrick Mahomes when he had both feet out of bounds. I mean, there was there was no way. I even saw people saying, like, oh, you can't call that at that time. Like, what? So you just get personal fouls at the end of the game whenever you want them? Like, I, I don't know what that was supposed to mean, but, you know, Patrick Mahomes, just every time you think that you've seen him do everything great, he does something more great, and it's almost like uh, people got bored of talking about how great he was, and so they wanted like Burrow to be as good and make that into a thing. But we're watching like football Tiger Woods or football Michael Jordan here with Patrick Mahomes, and I mean, it's it's just it's just incredible. It's just incredible. So I I, would, I guess I would say to people who are like getting annoyed with. Um, Mahomes are like Mahome's exhaustion like just just appreciate it man because this this does not always happen
1: you know one of the things that I um that I noticed on Twitter it was a tweet from Field Yates on Sunday after the chiefs game. And it highlighted the success of Brett Veach, who I like. I like Brett Veach. Just in my time in Kansas City, he just a super cool dude. Me and him would talk about you know horse racing and stuff like that or whatever outside of football. But like Field Yates went through how impactful the Chiefs' draft class was. I mean, they just had guys that just absolutely showed up and were were impact players last Sunday in that game. Um And it really told me about how. Quayce is going to have to step up big time, um, and he's lacking draft picks in this this year's NFL draft. But just in terms of like with the NFL draft, because last year that was not good. What happened? I know some of it was bad luck, and we talk about injuries and stuff like that. But that's the impact of what a draft can do on an organization.
4: Yeah, I think it's a it's a combination of a couple of things. I mean, drafting, as as many people will tell you, has been studied over and over and has been found that there's no real correlation from year to year or from GM to GM of being a consistently good drafter, right? But there are good draft decisions like drafting a pass rusher in Karloftis or drafting a receiver in Sky Moore, who even though he didn't have a great year, he comes up with the punt return at the biggest time. But also just, I think, the guts to move on from Tyreek Hill because I think 9 out of 10 teams, 30 out of 32 teams, they pay that guy, and they say, no way, there's no way we could move on from him. He's too good, and he is amazing, and he definitely uh, helped uh, Miami and Tua you know, put together a great offense this year, so you saw the impact. But they knew exactly what they could remove from Patrick Mahomes and how they could fill that up and and, and make it work. And they made great moves, like Juju Smith-Schuster. They hardly paid anything for him, but he was a proven good receiver. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a great signing, he had – the game of his life out there. The touchdown catch that he made was tremendous, and I think what over a hundred yards in that game because other guys got hurt. But they knew that the way that Patrick Mahomes plays football, he can be a point guard and distribute the ball to a bunch of different guys and get a lot of the same results from throwing to one guy. And I almost think it was even better in some ways because he they were focused so much on getting Tyree kill the ball that having more guys to throw to, I think actually helped him. And of course, his chemistry. With Travis Kelsey is, is just unbelievable. Um, another move, too, to point out is that they found a way to re sign Chris Jones, who is an absolute monster on their defensive side. And, and that game was, you know, defined by Mahomes and defined by his ankle. But also look at the pressure rate on Joe Burrow. I think it was over 40% throughout that game. And that was huge for them to be able to step up and pressure Burrow because when Buffalo didn't do it the previous week, he just annihilated them. And, and that was a, a that's going to be another big element, too. Uh, with the defensive line against Philadelphia that has an amazing offensive line but i think that you know it just it goes into a lot of different things it's like yeah you have to kind of get lucky and you know get a seventh round guy who shows up uh, you know like they have uh, but also like a good a good process too to put yourself in position to have a complete roster around Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah, we're talking to Matthew Cowler from Purple Insider here on the Lake Show on News Talk 830 WCCO. All right, so the Philadelphia Eagles. We got a glimpse glimpse at Jalen Hurts, a healthier version of Jalen Hurts. Now he's going to have two full weeks to to get himself uh, together. Are you surprised at all that Philadelphia is favored at this particular point?
4: Um, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, You know, I think that Philadelphia is looked at as the more complete team uh, in the trenches. They're just incredible. I mean, nothing short of incredible, offensive and defensive line. And a lot of times when you're talking about the two best teams in the league, something like that is going to make the difference, right, if you can run the ball against the Chiefs. And, you know, for most teams I would kind of roll my eyes a little bit at talking about running the ball. But Philadelphia, and that's their thing, is being able to just pound teams in the face uh, and then create a lot of open room for the receivers to run, and they, you know, they have great receivers, which are really going to test the secondary for, uh, you know, the Chiefs that was very good. But the thing is that any quarterback with great pass protection is going to be a better version of himself, and I, I think that pertains to Jalen Hurts as well. So how much Kansas City can break through and find ways to pressure or find ways to confuse Jalen Hurts? But when he's got two great receivers, it's it's just not that easy. Uh, you know, to to try to, you know, take away A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And, you know, when you look at Philadelphia and we relate it to the Vikings, I just look at that team as the perfect definition of, like, how it, how it should be done, where you had a mediocre quarterback that was too expensive. You moved on from him to draft an athletic, younger quarterback who you could develop and had upside. You built the roster around him. You got the guy weapons. And when you sensed the moment you went out and got A.J. Brown, like, they just did everything right to build that team. And, of course, they deserve a ton of credit uh, for the trenches as well. But if you didn't have a quarterback on a rookie contract, you know, you, you couldn't pick up an Endomicon Sue or Lindvall Joseph in the middle of the season or something like that that have made them a very deep team. So I can see why a lot of people would like Philly in this. I personally will not be putting down any money against uh, Patrick Mahomes ever, probably. Uh, but, I mean, that is a, a very, very well-crafted team.
1: Yeah. All right, uh, Matthew, I appreciate the time tonight, man, and we will uh, chat later this uh, – we'll, or we'll, we'll talk later next week, uh, I assume. It's going to have to be before Thursday, though, because I think that I have Thursday off next week. But we'll talk next week. It's Super Bowl week, my friend.
4: I am always, always ready to talk football with you, Henry. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, yep. Yeah, that's Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter as well. At Matthew Collier, more importantly, check out his fine work for the Purple Insider. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show, and we'll do that next. All right, final couple of minutes here on the Lake Show. Henry Lake, Christopher Tubbs with you. Tomorrow night, we got an abbreviated Lake Show, and then we have Timberwolves basketball. And then after Timberwolves basketball, we got Timberwolves tonight, and then we're into weekend festivities. Uh, real quick, hey Christopher Tubbs, I'm gonna ask this because not only is Christopher Tubbs the producer of the show, but he also does a great job with the scoreboard. Uh currently, with seven forty nine remaining in the game, the Cleveland Cavaliers lead the Memphis Grizzlies one eleven to ninety three, uh, which that's a blowout. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how I wonder how well um Jaron Jackson Jr. is doing, the all star.
3: I would say he's gonna he's not doing well. Well, I I mean, you can you can have a DNP. I mean, maybe that. But I will say none of the stats, nothing in the stat column, is bigger than any of the others. So I would say it's a pretty even effort tonight for Jaron Jackson Jr.
1: I mean, and that's the joke because he's not playing. He's missed so many damn games, but yet and still he's an all-star. And Anthony Edwards, who has not missed one game, is not.
3: I don't get it, man. That bugs me. I I don't get it. I don't get it. Don't get it. Jackson don't get it. He, he's a good player. Not he might be an all star in the future. Right now, he is, he is not an all-star.
1: I wanna see so so I'm so glad that we're finishing up here in the next sixty seconds, or less than that, actually. Uh, because I want to hear what Kenny and Chuck and Shaq have to say about the all What
3: does your boy Kendrick Perkins said on Twitter? Because he's been stumping for him.
1: Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to do that as soon as we're done. And we are done. We're done right now. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow night from Target Center right here on the Good Neighbor News Talk 830-WCCO. It's the Lake Show, baby.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.